I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and now it's time for the Jack Riccardi Show. I'm, I'm so frustrated, Christian. I, I keep missing the phone number for Jeff Davis. I, <laughs> right, it's tough. I wanted to write it down, and I, I keep. He just says it so fast. I'll send you a text. <laughs> thank you, uh, thank you so much. Uh, you know, when you go to the racetrack, if you go to a horse race and the the race ends like in a photo finish or there's a dispute. They announce to the crowd, hold your tickets. Because otherwise, you know, the people that bet on a horse that didn't win are tearing up their tickets, throwing them away, whatever. But hold your tickets means wait because there may be a a different outcome. Mm -hmm. I feel like we should hold our tickets on this, uh, arrest today of this Air National Guard guy. This, this just seems very, uh, well, it reminds me a lot of the Bradley Manning thing 10 years ago, but, it just doesn't mm-hmm. seem to make sense. Yeah, the, the the setup is rather odd. And I've said before, I'm a skeptic. And when I see yeah. something like yeah. this, especially coming out of the Justice Department and so forth, uh, not a divisive subject with the, the classified documents being leaked, but this is one of those stories that's really difficult because it's almost like you just have to sit back and say, okay, I'll take your word for it. Or I'll wait and see what they, you know, what they come out with and what they develop. But then I heard today also David Spunt at Fox, who we frequently have on, said uh, he thinks or he's hearing that they may move this whole thing into the military justice system, in which case we won't learn very much. We won't know very much. There won't be uh, disclosure of uh, court documents and and, and things like that. So Mm -hmm. let's. Let's figure this out. Christian, thank you. Um, so if you haven't heard, uh, they've, they've arrested a 21 year old member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard named Jack Teixeira. It's even weird to me. And this is, I know, seems like a minor detail, but usually when someone is in very serious trouble, you use their full legal name. Maybe his legal name is Jack, but that, anyway, um, and, and NBC is saying that, um, they have sources that uh, tell them they've been on to this guy for a while. Uh, he was in North Dighton, Massachusetts, which is in southeastern Massachusetts. He's active in the Massachusetts Air National Guard, but he may also at, at various times have been stationed at major military installations like Fort Bragg has been mentioned. Uh, the documents um, have been on the Internet. And we've talked about this in recent days. They they reveal details of our spying on Russia and Ukraine, on uh, uh, you know assessments of what's really going on that are at odds with what our politicians say is really going on in terms of the war between Russia and Ukraine, uh, and, and and a lot of other um, stuff. Now, what's weird to me about this story are many things, but let me just highlight a couple. The, the media appeared to be onto this guy before we heard of the arrest. The Washington Post had a story about the gamer group that, uh, where this intelligence kept popping up and they interviewed it. They did like a, you know, anonymous distort the voice interview with the guy. The New York Times was actually at the house of Jack Teixeira before the feds got there. And in fact, they have a quote where the, the New York Times reporters are at the house. They're talking to his mother and they ask if he's there and can they speak to him? And somebody tells them he's trying to get an attorney 
the feds will be around here soon. So the, the newspaper showed up before the police showed up or the feds showed up. Now the feds are saying that's because we weren't, we had been watching him for a while. We weren't going to make the move on him today. And the reason we made the move on him today was because the reporters were about to out him. So I don't know. I mean, that may be true or that may be attempting to cover their butts a little bit because they got, they seem to be a little behind. Our government seems to be a little behind on this entire uh, story. This guy, Teixeira, was on a private online gaming group called Thug Shaker Central. It was 20 or 30 people, mostly young men, teenagers, um, and they were mostly there for gaming. Um, and uh, they've interviewed now some other members of the gaming group, and th- they talk about how there was this all this crazy and intense uh, stuff that was being shared. Is it possible that this guy could get these things. Yes, it's possible. I mean, look at look at Bradley Manning. But is it also possible that... So he could be the real culprit here. He could be the one that stole it. But he could also be somebody to whom material that was stolen was given. Like, we don't know if he's the head of the snake or the tail of the snake. The Wall Street Journal has some interesting reporting about this. They uh, say that, yes, the, the feds have been on to Teixeira for a while. Yes, he was at Fort Bragg at the time of the leak. Uh, they question whether he would have had access to the stuff because, for example, according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, some of this stuff was um, originating from the CIA, uh, CIA Operations Center and the JCS, the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the Pentagon, Uh, Could he really have gotten that? There's an outfit called the Wagner Group, which is a front for Russian intelligence. And uh, the president of Microsoft is saying that he thinks the Wagner Group stole it. And they're using guys like Teixeira to get it into circulation. So they stole the intel. They used patsies to spread it. Maybe this guy, Teixeira, was disgruntled or, you know, mouthing off. And they thought, oh, he'd be a good guy for us to pin this on. And those um, classified documents seem very much in dispute. Like, you've heard experts on this show, like Jed Babin, and you've heard experts, I'm sure, in other places you listen in or watch, say, oh, this is very big. You just heard Christian uh, quote a description of the leak as maybe the worst in the last 10 years. President Biden speaks about it in Ireland today and says, quote, I'm concerned that it happened, but there's nothing that's of great consequence. So, is he just confused? Is he just trying to put a gloss on it? Does he really not know? Do they not know? That seems like a very weird way to describe a very serious uh, intelligence breach, if this is a very serious intelligence breach. So, that that's kind of where my head is at on this thing right now. I, I would wait to see uh, if this guy looks more to us like the head of the snake or more to us like, the, the tail that somebody is wagging, you know, somebody's using him and using his naivete, maybe, which, you know, if you, if you have read anything about spy scandals and the whole history of like Cold War espionage, the number one common denominator with 
uh, spies and would-be spies that come from the United States is they're all almost always super naive and therefore very vulnerable to being manipulated. And there's always somebody manipulating them. Somebody pointed out that, um, so that's going on. We're going to talk about that. Somebody pointed out that it's been about a year since Governor Abbott started the illegal immigrant buses. And um, you may remember that at the time that went on, there was this uh, intense uh, criticism. He was just savaged. It's cruel. You're using them as political pawns. The Washington Times did a whole story about this today saying, you know, uh, those buses succeeded in completely rewriting the debate about illegal immigration. The governor said he wanted... Sanctuary cities to share the pain. He wanted Democratic politicians to confront the fruits of their own policies and proposals. And um, sure enough, once the buses start arriving in, in D.C. and in New York, we started hearing it was a crisis and they were overwhelmed. And um, Mark Krikorian at the Center for Immigration Studies says it had the desired effect to light a fire under the Democrats on the immigration debate. Do you think a year later the immigrant buses were a good idea, and did they work? Looks like they did. Looks like they had an effect. Uh, And, and I mean, to this day, none of these uh, Democratic mayors, none of them have done anything but sound foolish and, and and sort of goofy in the way they've reacted to having the buses come. You know, the other thing that I think was interesting, and I don't know if Abbott foresaw this or not, he probably didn't, but... I, I'll tell you what I think was a really powerful image for a lot of people that maybe don't follow politics too closely. So the buses go up to these places like New York and Chicago and what have you, and we then we start getting stories about how the illegal immigrants are being put up in these luxury hotels, and they're in, you know, $600 a day rooms, and the hotels are getting trashed, and there's all this garbage in the lobby and what have you. And I, I just think right now, with this economy, with everything going on, for people to see in the news that illegal immigrants are being put up by the government in luxury hotels in major cities that, that the average person will never see the inside of, that is a pretty powerful byproduct of the busing decision. So we're going to talk about that today. We were talking about, um, yesterday we were talking about these professional women athletes like Megan Rapinoe, uh, I, I keep mentioning her because I think she's the one people know the most, but there's others that have signed this letter. It's a letter, an open letter, opposing uh, a bill in the House of Representatives that would uh, protect girls' and women's sports from transgender participation. Anyway, so they're signing the letter. These are women that have come up through the ranks, come up through the, the system that is now being gamed by these transgender guys and these women are saying, we support the guys. We don't support keeping them out of the sports, the teams, the leagues, the scholarships, the locker rooms that helped us get where we are, that helped us make our money, make our fame, get to the WNBA, get to the Olympics, get to the World Cup. And I was saying, you know, this is this is that sort of lifeboat mentality where, you know, you scramble to get into the lifeboat and then you heave a big sigh of relief 
because you're in the lifeboat, you're, you're saved. And when there's someone else trying to get into the lifeboat, you push them away. You, you slap their hands off the, off the, uh, lifeboat because you've, you made it. You don't care what happens to them. And it, it occurred to me, and I was having this discussion with a friend of mine earlier today about, and he's a pretty moderate guy. He's not very conservative or very liberal, and he's really irate about this issue. And I said, you know, it is incredible to me that we keep turning to politicians for a kind of leadership they are completely unable to render. They are terrible people at, at leading morally. Will Rogers once said that when Congress is in session, he gets the same feeling as when a baby gets a hold of a hammer. <laughs> which, is a great, which is a great image. Imagine a baby running around the house with a hammer. What could go wrong? Most politicians are the products of and the participants in political machines. And those machines are just built to win elections. They're not built to make moral decisions and figure out what's good for people, and they don't deal deeply with matters of of faith and the afterlife and morality and what's right and what's wrong. You know, in essence, asking politicians to judge or or to um, pass judgment on stuff like that is like giving a baby a hammer. And it's the same thing with these professional athletes, unfortunately. Um, they're, they're terrible people to ask, what should we do? Because they've already made it. Logic would tell you, yo, they ought to be the, the biggest, loudest defenders, and some of them are, like Marie, Martina Navratilova, but, but most of them are not. Most of them have, have this very soda straw view, which is, Either they're, they themselves are LGB, and so they're all good with it, or they know people who are or are trans, and they don't want to hurt their their friends' feelings, or they're they're they want to be cool and hip and in the moment. And right now, the the hip thing to do is to be okay with it. Or, even worse, that they haven't even thought about it that much. They're like, well, I, what do I care? I made it. I've reached the top of my sport. I don't care what happens to other people who are trying to do what I did. I only care that I have mine. I mean, I'm sorry, but you may not like that. You may disagree. Tell me if you do. But that's what it looks like to me. So on the one hand, you have the, the, the athletes that were saying, do something, do something, and they're not going to. And then on the other hand, the politicians are the babies with a hammer, as Will Rogers called them. Uh, and, and I mean, these are just, these are not, we, we have to stop expecting, um, Moral exemplars in politics. That's not how you, that's not how you succeed. There, I'm not saying there aren't any moral people in politics, but they're there by accident, not because there's a lot of them. This friend of mine, uh, Rich, who's kind of a middle of the road guy, not really a big talk radio guy, uh, made, I thought, a really cool point. He said, you know, I'm watching the debate and I see people that are like pro-abortion scared and furious about uh, conservative politicians legislating abortion. And then I see um, people on the right 
who are pro-life scared and furious at, uh, you know, the uh, funding of and the ease of uh, getting an abortion and, and, and calling abortion, uh, you know, feminine health care or women's health care or whatever they do. So, the, and I said, well, the, the moral of the story here is don't put politicians in charge of things they shouldn't be. Something like your health is way too important to let the politicians control. You might feel good about it when it's your side that's in power, but then someday it will be the other side that's in power and you'll be, you know, you'll be scared or you'll be sickened. It's going to happen to everybody. We keep asking them to run things and sort out things they're not good for. They're not good at. Civilization is a complicated thing, right? It's very complicated. It's, it's multi-layered. What, what we believe is right and wrong comes from a lot of different places. It doesn't come from the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned the other day when we had Raymond Arroyo on, I guess it was yesterday or two days ago, I mentioned that um, I read this book that was uh, the papal letters of Pope Leo the Thirteenth. I'm not; it's a very obscure read, but uh, so I'm not recommending it. I'm just going to make this point. I, it was very interesting to read what he wrote. He was a pope in the latter half of the 19th century. He wrote the most papal encyclicals of any pope, so he was constantly writing and trying to guide the flock on all different issues. Uh, he's one of the great popes of all time, one of the great religious leaders of all time. But one of the themes he kept coming back to again and again and again is the idea that right and wrong can't come from government. It can't come from politicians. And that's what's wrong with so much of what we're talking about these days. Uh, politicians will tear down a fence, as the saying goes, without knowing why it was put up. Politicians will make a decision that affects people's lives for years and years into the future just to win the election next month or pass a bill this week. Both sides do it. Both parties do it. They will play with things like impeachment, like their toys, when they're not meant to be. I'm not saying what they do is illegal. What I'm saying is it's illogical for us to keep thinking it will make sense or it will make it will be it will be moral. And this thing with, you know, transgenderism and children. I, I just don't think when I hear the, the panels on cable or I hear the politicians talk about it, I'm sorry, I just and I'm not put, I'm not making myself out to be better, but when children are making decisions that permanently alter their body, that is, that's about as serious as it gets. That is not a talking point for the midterms. That is not a zinger for CNN. That is incredibly serious. And I don't think the people who are defending it or urging that children should be able to change their gender. I don't think they've dealt with it. I don't think they're considering. I really don't. What it really means. 
I mean, I look, if you're an adult and you're mutilating your body, I really wish you wouldn't. I think you're I think you're very confused. I think you're making a horrible mistake. I will concede though that you're an adult and you can make that mistake. But it the, the most insane thing we have going on right now is people defending the idea that children, little children know they've been assigned the wrong gender. They need to cut their breasts off or their penis off or whatever and make these changes. That And calling that gender-affirming. Wow. And that's what I mean about these are not people we should be listening to for morality. They're not only immoral, they're amoral. They're not just getting it wrong. They're not really even thinking about it deeply, meaningfully, I don't think. Uh, joining the show now on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line is a District 7 City Council candidate. Sandra Grace Martinez is joining the show. Ms. Martinez, good afternoon. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. Um, I know that you were uh, in the race for land commissioner last year. In fact, you were in a very close uh, Democratic runoff uh in that race I, I was curious to know how you made the decision to go from running for statewide office to running for this very local city council office well this uh, common denominator still seems to be mental health issues and so uh, it, in my quest to continue fighting for mental health care resources and services you know really everywhere i mean federally but of course, Texas Land Commissioner statewide had that level of influence. You know, why not bring it back mm-hmm. home? Mm-hmm. Right. And how would, I know that you're a, a, a professional in the field, but how would being on city council, how would that be a good platform for the issue and for getting resources and so forth? Well, I think it's one of the best platforms. You know, unfortunately for us, you know, it's mental health is usually blamed for just about everything. I mean, not necessarily the cause of everything. Uh, but we do know that nowadays we can turn on the TV and in any given moment, you know, hear the word mental health, mental health care, mm-hmm. lack of, mm-hmm. et cetera. So, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're looking at our first responders, you know, having issues, of course, you know, being traumatized, you know, and, and that's basically my forte and my skill sets have been sharpened throughout the last couple of decades um, with trauma-informed care services. I think trauma-informed People call it trauma-enforced care, uh, TBR, all kinds of you know acronyms. Bottom line is, there's been an injury to the psychology of our first responder, and what are we doing as a city to help them? Because I think that would help retention. I, I mm-hmm. think that we don't use and flex our, our decision-making muscle to benefit that who responds, you know, when we mm-hmm. need them the most. So I think this is a great opportunity. So now I, I would think a major factor in the the mental health or attitude of first responders would be hearing debates about defund the police uh, and and things of that nature or 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 kind of maybe uh, scapegoating uh, police officers for the for the few who are not worthy of the badge. What what is your position on something like Prop A? Well, Prop A is, and for, I, I was here listening to your uh, message the other day, and I agree that, you know, we need to get out and, and no, don't get lax, you know, and say, oh, it's not going anywhere, um, you know, and, and those words actually have rolled off my tongue and shame on me. I will tell you right now, if I am in the wrong, I will tell you and I will own up to it. And it is not okay to, to decide, well, I won't go vote because I think it's set in the water. Go vote. 
You know, this is the time to do it. Because it's a kind of a psychological perspective to it. You say that's not danger, so, you know, there's no danger. Let's move forward and, and not vote. So I listened to that, and I loved it. Uh, but let's what you were saying earlier about uh, defunding the police and so on and so forth, there are some hidden uh, issues, uh, and maybe not so. Uh, maybe it's, it's overt, maybe in your show, I mean, the more I listen to it, the more I love it, that there are issues within our first responders that we're not discussing um, at great length at this time, and that is their mental health benefits are pretty crappy. And they really are. They deserve better. And so what we do hear about um, is the aftermath of, say, um, you know, murder-suicide or, you know, just recently, you know, a, a dad or ex, you know, decides to shoot up, you know, a home with babies in it and mom. So, uh, and then, you know, you've got our responders having to walk away from that and, and, and figure it out. But then they're systemically, they're injured because they go to their homes and then they mm-hmm. they have to process that with their loved ones or sometimes mm-hmm. not at all until they're ready. Mm-hmm. So my position is, why aren't we helping our first responders with some means of paying their deductible? You know, why aren't we helping them in that regard? There are ways we can retain our first responders. And I think that if we can incentivize and give them the the mental health care that they deserve, especially their families, I think that's a good way to go about it. That's just me thinking out of the box. Okay, well, no, I, I mean, I, that seems like a that seems like a very valid uh, and, and very specific uh, issue that I don't hear anybody else uh, talking about. Uh, aside from that, are there things that are specific to District Seven that either voters are saying to you or that you have a particular interest in? Because that the, that would, of course, be a big picture issue. But is there something specific to District Seven that you're running on? Well, you know, mental health, I, I would love to thread it into every decision-making uh, policy that I can possibly, you know, I mean, that would be like my wish, right? Uh, but, of course, there's infrastructure issues, and that has always been a buzzword. I ran 20 years ago. It's still the same thing. Um, so, and it does cause a level of distress. I understand that, and that it goes back to the psych- you know, psychological thing, uh, point of things. Um, but infrastructure seems to be a common denominator, no matter if I'm way out there, which actually right in the middle, I'm in the Leon Valley area right now taking a beat, um, but out in Braun and, and also in the Woodlawn area. So, you know, we have a big swath of land here. Uh, of course, it's beautiful out in the Braun. I call it the mansions out there in Braun because they have beautiful sidewalks and things like that. So something I don't even have, you know, on my street. So we don't have that. We don't have any of that, actually. So, you know, I, I think the common denominator has always been, like, citywide infrastructure. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes people call us, uh, you know, the city council has been the souped-up version of HOA. Uh, but, mm-hmm. no, I think it can be a lot more. And I think it's become become slowly a lot more. Um, it can get, you know, I think thinking outside of the box and what else can we do for San Antonio other than fix a pothole, you know, is, is in my terms, uh, being paramount. Yeah. You know, as I listen to you say this, um, I got to tell you, I've heard a lot of candidates who, when they're running, they talk about potholes and sidewalks and flood control. And that's the stuff that is really what city council does. I mean, that's job one. Then they get on city council. I'm not saying you, but then they get on city council and it's all like virtue signaling and we're going to join the Paris Climate Accord and we're going to have a symbolic vote about plastic bags or or you know i i mean it, people want the city to work they don't want the city council to be a debating society mm-hmm. that's right well i agree with you i but again the psychology you know of um this type of system is you you feed the voter with the buzzword 
you know, you see, the, I'm not doing that. And I'm, I'm hoping that the voter is a lot more mature and a lot more educated, a lot more energized to come out and vote against Prop A. Uh, so I am actually looking forward, you know, to, to seeing those voters at the polls, talking to them as they continue to block walk. Um, but buzzwords, no. Um, I cannot think that way anymore. Um, it, it, it's time to elevate um, city council to another thread because the city council actually can provide money to mental health care services and providers around the area. One of the issues that, you know, I brought up is, uh, hey, you know, we do need mental health response teams, and we can do that on the county level. Uh, but why not have a 911 caller, you know, like you've got 911 on the, you say, hey, police, EMS, fire, or mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, let our first responders do their thing, catch the bad guy. Why don't we not just have task force? We can have those we can have our cake and eat it too. We just need mm-hmm. somebody to call it out and say this is okay. what we need to do. And then we need a line item. Some of these nonprofits that are out there, they're top heavy, and they keep asking for money, all, you know, every two years, you know, so that they can continue to be top heavy and not trickle down to the little, you know, the children that are, you know, not getting haircuts or getting the new the shoes that they need to, you know, move forward in in life and in their in space to work for a residential treatment center. And I just see this common theme in uh, those type of services. The nonprofits, you know, I, and that's probably one of the things I would love is to have a line item, like, where's all the money going? <laughs> you know, why do we keep feeding? Why are we enabling, right? Why are we enabling these expenses um, in, in programs okay. that may not be working? All right. Sandra Grace Martinez running in District 7. Her website is sandragrace4texans.com, the number four uh, for texans.com. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You as well. Uh, we had uh, the District 7 City Council candidate, Sandra Grace Martinez, on. She talked a lot about mental health. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the trans issue, the politicians, the breaking news today about the uh, leak suspect, which itself seems very suspect. But when she was talking about mental health, I was thinking of this. I want to play this for you. This is kind of hard to listen to, I'll be honest. Um, at the time that the shooting in Louisville was happening, uh, the mother of the, the, the bank shooter, the guy that was killing all those people who we're not naming, was calling 911. And she was calling 911 because she was afraid he might do something like this. And literally, he had done it and was doing it as she was making this call, which was obtained by a local television station. And I want to play some of this for you. This is the 911 call from the mother. There's a lot of static where they're blurring out or blocking out uh, sensitive stuff and names and addresses, but this is the call she made as it was going down. Cut number two. 911, Operator Valve, where is your emergency? Yes, my, um, I could, my, my son might be... He's going to have a gun and he's heading toward the Old National at uh, on Main Street here in Louisville. Main Street, Old National? Yes, and I, this is his mother. I'm so sorry. I'm getting details secondhand. I'm running into it now. Oh, my Lord. Okay. And what exactly is going on with him? Why, what, it, what is he saying he's doing? I, I don't know. I'm getting this information from the roommate. He apparently left a note. I think he's on... And I think he's beside... He's, he's just not... Yes, hurry. Shut the door. Lock the door and come here. I, I don't know what to do. I need your help. 
I don't think he, he's never heard me once. He's a really good kid. Please don't come up to me. Okay, and you said he was headed to the old National Bank. Did he say what he was going to do there? I don't know. I don't know anything. He, but he, we don't even own guns. I don't know where he would have gotten a gun. Okay, so where did you get this information from? Who told you what's what going on? His roommate called me. His roommate's very concerned. So this was, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, what's your son's name? An employee there. Okay. How old is he? White, black, Hispanic, Asian? White. Six. About 6'4". 6'4"? Yes. Okay. Alright, and what was your name, ma'am? What, you, what is your name, ma'am? Here's your telephone number. So I've got your name and your phone number in here, and I'm going to let the officers know that you believe headed to the old National Bank on Main Street and having... Okay? That's, that's correct. Okay. And, and Please, he's, he's not violent. Mm -hmm. He's never done anything. Please, please. Okay, and you don't believe he owns guns? I know he doesn't own any guns. Okay, and so did the roommate mention him having any weapons or anything? Um, I, I don't I, I don't know, ma'am. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying to get into my car. My <laughs> son's talking to me, and they're asking me questions about other things. Um, uh, and I'm shaking. Uh, I, I think maybe his girlfriend... Okay. I don't know, maybe he saw them. I, I, I don't know. Okay. All right. I don't know well, have your name and number in here, and if officers have additional questions, they'll give you a call back, but I'm going to let them know, okay? Oh, okay. So should I, what, what do I do? Just go there? No, I don't want you to go to the location, okay? I'm, you don't want no, I don't want you to go to the location. All right. So it goes on like that when she, and at one point she's saying, uh, should I go to the bank? And, and then the, 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 Dispatcher has to tell her that what she is worried about has already happened. Take a listen to this. Okay. Um, it, right. I don't want you to go to the location. We have a we have a situation that's going on down there right now. We've already had calls from other people, and I do not need you to go to the location at this time. Okay, it's dangerous there. You've had calls from other people, so you go to there. Yes, at Old National Bank on East Main Street, we have. And I'm advising you not to go to the location because it is an unsafe situation and officers are already at the location, ma'am. Okay? Okay, thank you. You're welcome. All right, bye. That is, that, that, uh, you just can't even imagine uh, if you're a parent. I, I, I don't know what would be going through your mind. Imagine making that call. You're calling 911 to warn them that your child is on his way. And then they're telling you, well, he's already been there. I don't know. Are we better off or worse off, Christian, that we live in a world where all of this secret stuff is on servers and in places where a 21-year-old kid with the right clearance can look at it if he wants to? Because that's what, that's what it looks like. I mean, in the olden days, this would have been locked in a file cabinet somewhere. And there'd be a guy with a key, and at night he'd put the key around his neck and go home, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I get that we're not going to turn back the clock on the, the days of the file cabinet are not coming back. I get that. But it just doesn't, this just keeps happening. Well, they tried paper when it came to Biden's travel itinerary in Ireland. True. That ended up on a sidewalk. Very good point. Excellent point. So, By the way, isn't it interesting that we're no longer talking about all the documents that were strewn around Biden's garage? Look over here. 
Over here. Funny how. Over here. <laughs> funny how that went away. Don't worry about in that. In a big hurry. Yep. All right. Thank you, sir. Um, Congressman Chip Roy joining the show in about 10 minutes. You can join the show, 210-599-5555. The um, leaks at the Pentagon are serious and unserious. And what I mean by that is they sound like materially they are serious, but they are probably going to wind up being batted around in a very unserious way. I mean, we are about to see this turn into a Republicans versus Democrats, and this is because of Biden, and no, it's because of Trump, and you know what I mean? You know that's coming. And again, not to sound like the OG, see, I can use that term now, now everybody knows what that means, but there was a time when if we caught a spy, you know, if we caught, you know, Ron Melton, or we caught Robert Hansen, or we caught Aldra James, everybody hated on him. Everybody said he's the he's the bad guy. He's the villain. It didn't matter whether you were a Democrat or a Republican or a conservative or a liberal. This is all going to get, you know it is, right? This is all going to get packaged and framed around politics. It's an open secret that we spy on other countries. But there's a difference between the open secret that, yeah, everybody knows, blah, 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 versus very detailed reports on what we're doing and what we have. So, for example, it wouldn't shock anyone to know that we've been spying on Russia and Ukraine, but it might be shocking if we find out, which apparently we're going to, that we are infiltrated uh, so heavily into the... um, military networks of these countries that we've been helping Ukrainian snipers target uh, Russian officers. And then the other thing that's kind of jumping out at me as this story unfolds today is, the and, and this goes to the point I made with Christian about the cyber nature of a secret. So when a, if I take a, a document out of a folder, and the next day the guy that's in charge of that goes, oh, we're missing a document. Or if I make, like the way we caught spies in the 80s, interestingly enough, was they would look at, like, copiers. And they would find that somebody had been making an unusual number of copies. You know, running off copies. But when you look at a cyber intel piece, I know there's a way to see if somebody's been in there and what have you and so forth, but not immediately. It's different, right? And this stuff was leaked and was floating around on message boards. These teenagers that were gamers. Apparently, uh, if it's all true, this guy, Teixeira, that they arrested, had a like a, like a little g- gaming group that he formed during COVID. He, he joined the Air Force right before the National Guard, I should say, right before COVID, and then he had a lot of time on his hands and... He was based at uh, Otis, which is in Massachusetts, and so he's gaming, and he's got this group, and they're they're talking about stuff, and apparently he was one of the older guys. Most of them were teenagers, so he um, was the OG. And uh, it started out, according to the witness who was interviewed by the Washington Post, it started out with him sort of telling them stuff he'd seen, which was like a guy bragging to younger guys, hey, you 
imagine this or you should see what I what I found out or whatever. And then it became sharing the stuff and posting the stuff and it's being screenshot and it's being shared on other on other boards and other places and um for weeks for weeks we're not talking about the last few hours or the few, last few days for weeks and no one noticed so for and and, and this is different for each document but let's say on average 3 or 4 weeks the stuff is online now unfortunately there will be a reaction to this and the reaction will probably be to keep more secrets from you and me but that was never the problem the stuff that this guy allegedly stole and circulated was not we were not the problem okay so keeping more things from the, the american people Walling off the American people from what their government is doing will be the likely reaction that both Republicans and Democrats will embrace. That's what we must do. We must make the secrets deeper. We must make the walls higher. Yes, walls do work when they're designed to keep us away from what the government is doing. But that isn't really what happened here. What really happened here was they gave a clearance to somebody that probably should never have had it. And then whoever is supposed to keep the secrets is so bad at it that it was laying around and being circulated and being shared and and actually screenshot on, on like these other uh message boards and and no one knew well eventually they knew but i wonder how long they knew i wonder how long it took them to find out and then as i mentioned earlier did the media force the feds to arrest this guy by showing up and being set to interview him and out him? Or were they going to do it anyway and it just coincidentally happened on the same day? It kind of looks like the the New York Times and the Washington Post were ahead of the, the government. I mean, there's so many ways you could think about that or ways you could imagine that or conspiracy theory that I know, right? Makes your head spin. I, I would hate to think that it works this way, but I, I was thinking this afternoon about every place I've ever worked, every radio station I've ever worked at, and for the last 20, almost 24 years, has been this radio station. When you, when you think about the, you know, the, the computers, the internal network, the servers, all that stuff, the people that know the most about it, the people that are most vital to it are almost always relatively low-level people and very young people. And by low-level, I don't mean personally. I just mean in the in the food chain or the flow chart, they're they're pretty low, right? It's that it's that young, lowly-paid guy or gal that really knows how to fix everything, how everything works, how to get the server back online. If the power goes out, it's if something crashes. And they can also do things, and they can see things, and they can influence things that the higher-ups don't even understand. You'd hate to think the federal government works that way, but i got to wonder. Why do I get the feeling every spy from now on will be 21 years old or 23 years old and, and be some young person with a high security clearance who knows computers 
and uh, the the OGs will be weeks or months behind him. Anyway, we're joined on the show now, the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line by uh, Texas Congressman Chip Roy. And uh, let's uh, welcome him back to the show. Congressman, good to have you. It's a busy day for you, I know, so thanks for making time for us. Jack, good to be on as always. Just uh, driving all over the district, was in San Antonio all day today, and glad to be on. I, I need to, before anything, I need to ask you about this uh, breaking story about the arrest of this uh, Air National Guardsman in Massachusetts. What are you uh, hearing about the, the leaks case and where it's going and the damage it's done and so forth? I don't have anything specific on it. Um, obviously, those kinds of things, we, we kind of have to go through the normal briefing process. Uh, obviously, there's concern about the leaks, but, you know, I would have to note, you know, it's pretty interesting that the Pentagon is getting all over you know, this leak stuff, you know, in like 10 seconds. But where the hell were they on trying to figure out what happened with Afghanistan and getting mm-hmm. to the bottom of our departure from there? But uh, mm-hmm. we'll get briefed, I'm sure, in the next few days and next week on precisely what happened with this arrest, but I don't have a briefing yet. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, you put out a letter um, that is um, urging people to push back on and vote against uh, Prop A here in San Antonio, and what made you, as a as a member of Congress and representing a huge area of which San Antonio is a part, what made you decide to speak out about Prop A now? Well, first of all, our men and women who serve in law enforcement, um, standing on that thin blue line, have been under assault for way too long, and now we're seeing the consequences of liberal DAs, uh, law enforcement who are being attacked rather than us trying to target criminals and we have crime going up in san antonio so now you got prop a and you're gonna you're gonna you know tie the hands further of our law enforcement being able to do their job and arrest people and they say oh well you don't want to you know we want to prevent these arrests for these petty crimes hold on a second i was with those guys today i did a ride ride along riding along with uh uh one of our members of our san antonio pd and going through what they go through during the day. And they need the tools at their disposal to be able to stop, for example, a peeping Tom. This stupid Proposition A would limit their ability to go arrest somebody. And they're trying to say, oh, it's about marijuana and abortion. No, it's not. It's about tying the hands of law enforcement and preventing them from being able to exercise their judgment to go arrest people and be able to take people off the street and have the tools at their disposal to do their job. They're going to make San Antonio less safe. I represent San Antonians. I thought I should stand up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be doing robocalls. I'm going to be pushing out emails. If you're listening to this, you go show up in May and you go vote. If you turn out, we can kill this proposition and we need to. I, I, I want to ask you about something that I've noticed that I think is really interesting in, in this regard. When this was first framed and presented, it had to pass a vote on the city council. It was touted by the mayor. It was touted by several of the liberal progressive leftists on the council in recent days and weeks a number of them prominently the mayor himself have renounced prop a no we don't like it no we don't want it to pass and it feels to me and i want to ask you if you think this is crazy it feels to me like a like a head fake like you're trying to dissuade voters that normally don't maybe take a lot of interest in city politics from turning out to vote against this 
while winking and nodding to that 8 or 10% that always do vote and elect progressives, you're letting them know, hey, we really are for it, but we have to pretend to be against it so there isn't a wave, there isn't a giant opposition wave. Do you, do you get the feeling that there is a kind of psychological head fake going on here? There could be a little of that. Um, I don't ever like to get into the headspace of these guys for what they're doing. But I will say this. The fact that the mayor did a 183 turnaround, whether that was intentional or not, I, I don't know. I, what I really think is going on is they buried in this a whole lot of stuff, and they tried to hide behind marijuana and abortion. Now everybody's looking at it and going, wait a minute. You're actually limiting the police ability to go deal with petty arrests, petty thefts, burglaries, and so forth. And they're actually recognizing the reality of what that actually means. And even with marijuana and abortion, they're recognizing what that means. And so they might be playing games, but I think the, the, the point here is if the people of San Antonio know it and they show up and they rebuke it, then that will send a massive message. And having the mayor flip is a really good uh, sign about what people are seeing with the truth getting out. Now, again, you might, you might be right. Maybe they're playing games. Well, the reason I, the reason I say that is because you, you and I both know that they haven't changed their mind about it. They, they haven't decided they don't like it. So there has to be some reason for telling people after they went to the effort of getting it on the ballot, you know, how often do you see the same group of people who put something on a ballot then tell people, oh, you know what? Don't, don't vote for it. I, I, unless, unless there's something I'm missing, I, I feel like what they're doing is they're counting on that eight or 10 or 12 percent that always vote. And you know this from politics, right? I mean, the left is very into urban politics. They turn out. Look what just happened in Chicago. Everybody else complains, but the ones that do the work in urban politics and actually vote are the far left. So they probably figure we've got our eight or 10 or 12 percent that are going to come out and they're going to pass this. We just have to make sure they're not overwhelmed by a bunch of new voters who defeat it. Well, there's certainly and you just hit on the most important part, May elections, city council elections, uh, propositions on local elections in May. Those are turnout elections. So if you're listening to this, you turn out, you'll win. Turn out your family, your friends, etc. But on the question you're asking, again, they might be playing games with it. But I also think an element of this is, look, the police, the, the police officers association, um, the, the outside groups, the Chamber of Commerce, they're all hitting this really hard. And I think that even the radical left that has a little stranglehold of our elected leaders in San Antonio and unfortunately in Austin and other places, I think they're seeing, well, holy crap, this actually touched a nerve. And they're seeing, you know, a gang of dogs go maul an 85-year-old man in West San Antonio. Or they're seeing last night a guy shoot his, his you know, uh, girlfriend and his baby. And they're starting to say, wait a second, maybe people are getting sick and tired yeah. of not having the rule of law in San Antonio. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. carrying the day. Yeah, and I mean, certainly that would, that would kind of duplicate what happened with uh, voting along the border, where suddenly people weren't voting as democrats or republicans or hispanic or whatever they were voting on i don't feel safe anymore you know public order is breaking down my community is being overwhelmed things don't work uh this is the kind of issue that if people don't think of it in terms of their political category but just in terms of what would this what would living here be like it's a different thing 
No question. In fact, I was meeting with some folks today and about the Hispanic community in, in San Antonio, you know, tired of being taken for granted by Democrat politicians, just like those in South Texas. You know, they're sick of it. It's like, oh, you're, you've got brown skin. You must be a Democrat. And they're saying, you know what? I actually just want to have a secure community. I want it to be safe. I want my kids to be educated, to be productive people in the world. I'm kind of getting sick and tired of this garbage that I'm being yeah. fed and being taken for granted. So, you know, Republicans, conservatives, we have work to do to go build relationships in, in, in those communities that were taken for granted for so long by Democrats who are now forsaking them and using them as political props. And now you're seeing the results. And it's harming people, and it's wrong. Were you uh, approached uh, to get into the Prop A fight by the opponents of it, or did you decide uh, of your own volition you wanted to to join in? Well, I reached out and offered my support uh, to people that I knew were getting involved with it. Um, you know, to the to the obviously the police officer association and and uh, you know some of the folks and involved with the chamber and otherwise, but basically it's just a turn out the vote thing. I'm going to be, you know, doing some robocalls and emails and pushing people to show up to the polls. Um, I look, I think, look, I think our ballots are upside down. Okay. I think at the top of the ballot, instead of it being president and Senate and Congress, it should be city council and judges, county judges and district attorneys and state reps and state senators. That's your life. That's your schools. That's your roads. That's your police. That's your safety and security. You know, Congress and Senator, a bunch of friggin' blowhards, they go up there, and all I'm trying to do up there is stop them from making your life more miserable. I'm trying to prevent them from getting in your way. That's what I do every day. I try to stop stupid. That's literally my day job: is stopping stupid. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start using that uh, term. The ballot is upside down, or turn the ballot upside down. Congressman Shiproy, Congressman, yeah. thank you tonight for coming on. Look forward to speaking with you again. All right, God bless. Take care, guys. You as well. The, the dilemma you have in a city like San Antonio or in any major American city is that as you keep electing progressives and they keep implementing crazy, destructive to business and to public safety and to education programs and policies, normal people, sane people, Leave. They move out of the city. There's there's huge exoduses in places like New York and Chicago. We're still a city people are moving to for now. But if you gave this current city council and city hall more uh, you know more more leash, and they get things like Prop A, um, we might become a city people are dying to get out of. And and, and in a way that is already happening. I, we talk every day to people that are centrist or right of center. But now they live in the suburbs, and so they're not voting on Prop A. They're not part of that uh, debate because they live in Cibolo or they live in Floresville or wherever it might be. Our next guest has been thinking a lot about what's happening to these cities and what we do next. Gabriel Nadalis is the national director of Our America, uh, and he's on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. And, Gabriel, it's good to have you back, and good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, and thanks for having me back on. We were talking a lot on the show yesterday about the closing of uh, the Walmarts in Chicago and the Whole Foods flagship store in San Francisco. And here in San Antonio, we have a uh, literally an insane uh, catch-all ballot proposal uh, that the progressive city council put forward. Isn't it a problem, though, when you try to save these cities that the kind of people you need to save them, whether they're police officers, whether they're sane uh, voters 
they're not sticking around to vote. They're just leaving. And that means whoever's left are the people that are probably either okay with these policies or they're stuck. They're people that can't leave, right? Yeah, unfortunately, one of the problems that happens is that people who are a little bit more affluent, they're able to leave those cities. But then there's people who are kind of stuck there and they're just, you know, unfortunately, they get squeezed out. They are trying to save money in order to uh, leave cities like this. But then the rent keeps going up, crime groups, go, property values go down, like it gets worse and worse. And it becomes it, it's a it's a cycle of uh, of uh, of violence that kind of just gets people stuck in there. And unfortunately, places like, say, San Francisco or like Chicago, even like uh, uh, other cities that aren't really as like major, like Albuquerque, New Mexico, for example, they they have a rampant uh, problem with violence. And when you have violence, when you can't even just walk out on the street, then you have no opportunity. You don't want to go out there. You you can't go out there if mm-hmm. if you're fearing that you're going to get mugged. I mean, if you're very well off. I think any of these cities can be a perfectly fine place to live. You have stuff brought in. You're, you're surrounded by security. Uh, no one's going to get to you. And, and, and so you're, you're going to stay and, and, and you're going to think things are great. And you, you don't care that they close the Whole Foods because you have people who go get your groceries for you. But for a lot of people that find this stuff, you know, really it impacts the quality of life they don't like it so much anymore they feel like the city doesn't work anymore um if they stay and they keep voting you would hope that eventually they would have enough and they would rethink what they're voting for and how they're voting but i'm beginning to think the reason for example a guy like this new mayor of chicago got elected is because the people that in the past would have risen up and said we're not doing this anymore they've already left that's definitely part partly true uh, i think one thing that we have to consider is the fact that people were sick and tired of the policies of larry lightfoot because she left uh chicago worse off than when she first got on there uh and let me tell you i was just in chicago a couple of weeks ago and it's there's a sense of distrust among everybody that just it's just not good I was walking around just trying to like find some food uh, one day and there was people who were afraid of me. They crossed the street, but it wasn't just of me. It was of each other. You could see that everybody kind of distrusts each other. But Mm -hmm. you know, the reason that this guy was elected is not because they don't under, they, they, they think that those policies are going to continue or make the city safer. It's because they just were sick of Lori Lightfoot so much that anybody else was better in their eyes. But they had another choice, right? They had another guy that was more reasonable. Yeah, I mean, they they definitely did, but at the same time, it was a very close election. It was kind of a shock for everybody. Everybody was expecting uh, Lori Lightfoot to win, so there wasn't really enough time to really look into these two other candidates. So the guy who just was able to appeal and and you know to the voters of Chicago, unfortunately, he he won. But what Chicagoans are going to lo- uh, learn is that those same policies are going to just make Chicago worse. Mm-hmm. So what do you say to somebody? Do you say stay and save your city or pack the car and get get your family the heck out of there? I mean, it, it, it you know, it I'm old enough to remember when moving to a big city was all about greater opportunity. It was a big moment. You were stepping up in the world. Uh maybe it, you were advancing your career. 
But the way things work now, and with more and more people able to not necessarily live where they, you know, where their company is, or work rather where their company is, I, I, I just, I wonder how you persuade people to stay and fight or, or hang around for the next election, right? Yeah, you know, and I've always talked about this. Um, in California, for, for, for example, there's a lot of people who try to get out of there, and they, they, they even start businesses of trying to get conservatives out of there. I know there's a, a business that uh, launched a few years ago that's trying to get people to Texas, conservatives from California moving over to Texas. And I fault absolutely nobody for trying to leave cities and states that are just rampant with crime because, you know, they have to do the best for their, for their families. But what I do recommend is if you do have the opportunity to stay and try to make a difference, you know, that's definitely going to help us in the long run. Because as long, th- this kind of behavior of, of violent crime, it spreads. And it's exactly what we were seeing, say, for example, in the 2020 riots. If you saw, and they all started in Minneapolis and in, in Minnesota, but that general sense of distrust spread throughout the country and we mm-hmm. saw riots mm-hmm. all over the country. Similarly, when you have a crime in one city, it infects the others, unfortunately. It's very rare when a well-run city infects uh, a badly run city. It's typically the other way around. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, it does spread, and it's, it's uh, I guess we could say it's highly infectious. Uh, Gabriel Nadalis at Our America, thank you for coming on. I always like talking to you, and I hope you'll, you'll come back with us again. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. All right. 547 on San Antonio's talk station, 550 and 1071-KTSA, 210-599-5555. Jerry is on the radio show. Hi, Jerry. Hey, good afternoon. What's on your mind, Jerry? Well, you know, I, I see this, um, you know, uh, nationwide movement, really, uh, defund the cops and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's totally not first got in the badge 55 years ago and uh, made a life's work of it. And, you know, these little crimes and little criminals uh, naturally evolved into larger crime and, and older or bigger criminals. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a cancer, you know. You find out mm-hmm. you have a tumor, you either cut it out or let it eat you. And, uh, you know, it's just it's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not going to work. You know, you look at San Francisco, right. some of the places you've talked about uh they talk about all the time and uh eventually you know even the big dogs move out of there because they they just can't you know they can't hang anymore and so we don't we don't want san antonio to devolve into that kind of a community it seems like it wasn't that long ago jerry and you probably would know better than i would that we had the the broken windows theory you know that in a community if you don't address things like uh, graffiti and a broken window on an abandoned warehouse that signals to people, Hey, nobody's even paying attention. We can do more. We can be more audacious. And so that was the philosophy. That was what Giuliani brought to New York City, for example. Um, I, I, this seems like a 180 from the, the, you know, the broken windows theory. Now we're saying let's start sloughing off the quote unquote minor crimes as if that will not send the same signal. Well, my original police chief said, you know, you take care of the little crimes and the big crimes that take care of themselves because you gotta, you gotta nip it in the bud, like, like the analogy I made with the cancer earlier. And, uh, you know, I've been watching it over half a century now and participating in it, you know, and, and now as a civilian and, and it's, it's easy for me to see, you know, cause I, I can float up to about 40 or 50,000 feet and, and see all of this stuff coming together. It's not the first time America's had 
uh, a problem at the border either. When I when I started off in law enforcement, a guy named Jimmy Carter just let all those people, Cuban uh, presidents. Oh, the boat lift, yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, now the whole world is dumping their yeah. garbage on us, and and that's a, a large part of the big uptick in crime nationwide. And it's you know, yeah. if you're not along the border, you know, rest rest assured, it's coming towards you. Yeah. Yeah, that's very well said. Jerry, good to have you. Thank you. Thank you for your service, and thank you for your call. On the JR poll, we're asking you, do you give your car or truck a name? And I mean, uh, there'll be no judgment. I'm just curious. There are people that refer to their their vehicle, not. I don't mean it, it, the brand name, it's a Ford. I mean, like they give it a name. Like they personalize it. And I mean, some of, sometimes it's like to the point where they every reference they make to it is, oh, it's uh, you know Bessie. I'm I'm, I'm going to get in Bessie and go to the store, or they talk to it when it's maybe cranking a little and not starting right away. So I'm just asking. We just 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 want to know. Do you give your car or truck a name? A lot of people are telling me the name. That's optional. Uh, two ten. I I don't. I haven't done that. Maybe I'm missing out. Maybe I should start. Uh, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. So that's the poll question. But we've obviously been into a lot of things today, and uh, you can get into them with us. And Curtis is next on the radio on the Jack Riccardi show. Hi, Curtis. Hi. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. Um, I hate to be a pessimist, but um, in relation to the city and the direction it's going in, um, you know, it's. I feel like it's going to be an uphill battle to change things because even if, um, you know, conservatives were to really show up at the polls and elect a, uh, you know, a center-right mayor or, um, you know, center-right council, things of that nature, um, you know, I worked for the city of San Antonio for for over 18 years, and uh, the progressive mindset is heavily ingrained yeah, in the yeah. city in the city machine, and yeah. um, you know I wasn't the only conservative. I had conservative friends in the city, but if you're a conservative and you work for the city of San Antonio, yeah. and if you have two brain cells to rub together, you know enough to keep your mouth shut when yeah. it comes to politics. And no, I think you're uh, right you about know, that. You, you keep your conservative beliefs to yourself. Um, you know, and my wife and I, um, about 10 years ago, moved out of the city, and we live in uh, Bear County, or unincorporated Bear County, and we don't pay city taxes. Of right. course, we don't get to vote, but right. I sleep better at night knowing that my, my tax dollars aren't funding any of this foolishness that's going on. I don't now. think that's pessimism at all. I think that's very, I think that's realism. And Curtis, I think you speak for a lot of people, and you make a very good point that you don't really change the the deep state, if you will, of city government just by changing uh, the names on city council. Really good point. Thank you. All right, I uh, we're having some great games in the uh, play-in for the NBA playoffs, uh, and uh, I was watching a little bit of um, the New Orleans game. And everybody, the big the big storyline uh, in sports was that Zion Williamson was not playing. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy. If you don't know, if you're not a sports fan, I know you are Christian. But this this, this was the number one 
uh, draft choice of his year. Yeah, uh, he's been in the league for a few years, but the year he came out of Duke, he was the number one pick, and not only the number one pick, but one of those sort of considered one of those like once in a lifetime generational know, talent. Yeah, yeah talents um, can do it all. He has only played in I think forty something percent of the games during his NBA career. He has never played in a play-in or play-off game for the New Orleans Pelicans. And before the game last night, he was practicing, shooting, dribbling, passing, but then did not play. When asked why he is not playing, Zion Williamson has said, I'm physically okay, but I'm not going to play until I feel like Zion. And what now, does you that remember feel when, like? You, yeah, well, I, I guess we don't want to know. I mean, you, you, you and I don't remember, remember, but we've heard the tales of like back in the day in the off season, NFL players drove trucks or worked in warehouses or yeah, they were firefighters yeah. or, you know. They did. Imagine we've gone from you had another job to I don't feel like mm-hmm. myself. You know, yeah. Ted Williams was in World War II. Right. Right. I, I, You know, I don't feel like Zion. Yeah, I just don't know. And look, I'm all I'm all for professional athletes making making their share of the profits as opposed to owners just keeping everything. But should we not expect this? At some point, and we've seen it before, athletes just, you just can't quite get it together today, or the priorities off the field are just like, what? You've got the world at your feet. Can you, yeah. is competition, it doesn't mean anything to you. Yeah. But when you give a 20 year old tens, not, not a million bucks or 500,000 bucks, mm-hmm. tens of millions of dollars, at some point, it's going to backfire. You, listen, when I was 20 years old, you couldn't have given me $500. I would have, I would have ruined myself. Mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, I, I don't even, I can't, I'm not joking. I mean, I can't even wrap my head around what it is like to be a young guy in any of these sports and have that kind of, you know, and I mean, we put people in, in like, um, what do they call it? Not guardianship, but, uh, trusteeship, you know, yep. when you have like a will, you, you don't, you don't let your kids inherit your money when they're like eight and thirteen. You say, yeah, you know, we're going to have a trustee till you're twenty or thirty or whatever mm-hmm. it is. My, mine, for example, my daughter doesn't get anything till I'm till she's thirty. You know, I mean, and these are these are people we know are good people, and we raised them right, and they have level heads, and we don't have a million dollars to give them. But yeah, I mean, it's insane. Do you remember how much money? The first pick in the NFL draft was making about eleven or twelve years ago before they they, they retooled this, the 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 money allocation from. Oh, it was insane, and it had to go up every year. So yeah. you had a guy like Jamarcus Russell, who could barely get his uniform on. Yeah. Coming out with like a, like eighty million dollars. I mean, yeah. you had one kid who's never played pro football before, and he's worth about seven to nine percent of the franchise. And the yeah. owners finally yeah. said, "This is enough." Now they have these rookie contracts. That's yeah. exactly right, and that's why. That's why. And that, of course, that's also why you now have these situations where suddenly you've got like the Lamar Jackson situation, or 
others because they they go from making that that rookie money, which again is still a lot of money, but it's yeah. sane comparatively. And then when they get to that year where now they want their bag, it's it's very dramatic because they're moving up into that uh, ranks. Anyway, I, I hope the guy is, I, I mean, maybe the guy has some mental health issues, although he really needs to say that if that's the case, because right. uh, saying, I, I'm, I'm going to wait till I feel like myself, good grief. Yeah. I'm All not, right. I'm six, not doing the news again till I feel yeah. like myself. So, <laughs> Man, if I had to, I don't even know what I'm supposed to feel like. If I was waiting for that, we'd be waiting forever. I don't know what that even is. All right. Um, do you name your car? Does your car have a name? It, it, it may be that you're not really okay with talking about this openly or you don't want to be ridiculed. I won't ridicule you. I might, well, I mean, I might just smirk a little, but you won't even see me. But do you name your car or truck 210-599-5555? By the way, some people are saying, I don't give my, uh, this one's uh, uh, Donald. He says, I don't give my truck a name, but definitely a gender. She. This vehicles have a gender. Uh, so do you give your, your truck or car a name or a gender or not or why? And how did you come up with the name? And when do you use it? And I mean, some people go all out. I've walked past cars in parking lots where the name of the vehicle was like done in pinstriping on the door. Don, you always have a nice truck. It's always decked out and. You seem like a guy that would have named your truck. Did you name your I, truck? I have never named a single vehicle I've ever. You've never owned named any of your vehicles. No, I mean, Don. No, for folks no. that don't know, Don's no. truck is—he's got the 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 cattle guard and the aftermarket wheels and the whole thing. I mean, it's very nice. But you don't. Do you, do you do you give it a gender? Do you refer to it as she's running a little rough today? Or? Nope. Not no. no. Not at all. Not. I don't even do bumper stickers. I I know some. I have a. a couple of friends that name their vehicles and i will not name yeah. them on the air obviously but i think uh, you I have think... to also uh you have to be open to the possibility that your your car may change its gender <laughs> you know you may so true you may assign it a gender <laughs> but it may not be comfortable in that gender and you're going to have to you know accept that you know maybe bessie is now you know ben just just throwing that out 210 599 5555 do you name your Car or truck. Uh, just curious to see what the percentages will be. Who does that? Who doesn't? Uh, keep a good thought for Jamie Foxx, the actor. Uh, hopefully he's going to be okay. He was in Atlanta making a movie and had to be taken to the hospital, according to TMZ. It was so serious that family members were initially flown in to be with him, but his family has said on Instagram now that um, he's doing better. They haven't revealed exactly uh, what was going on, but I like him a lot. I think he's great. He's a great actor, very funny guy, and we hope Jamie Foxx is okay. Uh, 210-599-5555. So, yeah, we're talking about the the naming your uh, vehicle thing. We've been talking today about the the Pentagon leaks or whatever you want to call it and the the arrest of this guy who is either the, the one that, accessed the documents and leaked them or is he maybe just a guy that received them or was directed to do things i mean uh, you want to believe all that will come out i know it's being investigated i know there's thousands of people investigating it i'm not saying i'm i have any insight but i i just have a very high level of suspicion not only about what we've heard so far, but I'm sorry to say about the people investigating it. I mean, think about who's investigating this. The military, 
and the FBI. And just ask yourself, are you as confident in what they will do and how forthcoming they will be as you would have been 20 years ago? Do you feel as good about that? Do you feel as apolitical about that as you would have 20 years ago? Answers itself, right? Don't forget about our Jack Chat line. It's 210-599-5550. And you can call at any time and leave your first name, your city or town, and your comment about any topic, anything we've, we've done, anything we've talked about, previous show, uh, poll question, anything. Um, one thing we're noticing is uh, some people are just getting on there and just saying stuff. I'm not going to play it. I'm not going to play it. You've got to put your first name and your city or town, and then your comment, and then then we're good, and then anything goes. Uh, 210-599-5550 for the Jack Chat line. And it's there for anybody, but especially for our podcast listeners that listen when the show's not live. Uh, so do you give your uh, car or truck a name? Alvin says on Facebook, I used to give my truck a name, but these days I'm more apt to call it names. I like that. Uh, Eddie is on the radio uh, with the poll question today. Uh, Eddie, do you name your vehicle? Yes, Jack. Yes, I had a I had a seventy one um, La Bamba. It was a, a seventy one Ford Pinto, <laughs> La Bamba, and then after and then and then I had a seventy Monte Carlo, sweet ginger brown. I finally got it fixed up. Oh wow! And then I and I uh, yeah with uh, gold and 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 uh, silver glitter. Oh wow! Positive. <laughs> and now, when you to, say you name, when you say you named it, like how far did you take that? Did you use the name in front of other people? Did you put the name on the vehicle? I mean, what's? Well, yeah, yeah. My friends kind of picked it out because uh, when I was in uh, in the army, the, uh, my friends called my '71 uh, Pinto the La Bamba because it was primarily black, and uh, my windshields didn't uh, windshield wipers didn't work that good, but that what got us around right right and and then the seven uh the uh, 70 monte carlo is uh, i when i got out the military i and i went to st phillips and i worked i worked on that 350 and then i dropped in dropped it in there with a 1010 crank and i got it anyway but i got it painted you know uh metallic gold with white glitter yeah. and i had uh, a gold tips and and the skirts <laughs> wow, you really did it. And boy, that, that 70 Monte Carlo was a pretty car to begin with. That was a nice looking car to begin with. Yeah. All oh, right. The 70 Monte do you, do you, is your current, is your current vehicle named or did you just used to do it? What's that? Do you drive anything nowadays that has a name? Well, no, no, that's weird. I have a truck now. I have a, a Chevy truck, but no, I haven't named it yet. Oh, but okay. uh, after that, I, I had a, a 76 Malibu Classic with that 305 that came in at that time. And my friends called it um, uh, the Timex, of course, because, you know, I was I got in a couple of accidents back in the 80s. <laughs> oh, took a licking and kept so on ticking. Uh, all right, oh, Eddie, my- thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, 210-599-5555. Have you given your vehicle that you drive now a name? And do you want to tell us about it or why you came up with that name or what the deal is? Bryce is on the radio. Hi, Bryce. How's it going, Jack? It's going, Bryce. I don't know where it's so going, do, but it's uh, going. Yeah, I do uh, I do name one vehicle. I, and I've been an automotive technician for 15 years, and I constantly mm-hmm. buy and sell them, so... Nothing usually gets a name unless I like it, and at that right. point, it's just, you know, if it's a Honda, I call it the Honda. The Ducati in my right. garage is the Ducati. 
Right. The one truck that my grandfather left to me, it's just the grandpa truck, and it's an old square body diesel Chevy truck, and that's that's the only one that yeah. deserves a real personalized name. Right. It's the one that's sentimental. Mm. It's the one that's down home and in the garage, and it, it is the yeah. Because when you're flipping the them all the time, you don't want to give them names because you don't want to get attached to them, right? I get attached anyways. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if I if I had my way, I'd probably have like a, I'd be that guy with like a a yard full of cars, and they'd all be in you know half apart. I know, I know that's a that's a that's like a problem we have, isn't it? I mean, there's there's no explanation for that. Thank you, Bryce. All right, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Do you name your car or truck? How did you come up with the name? Ty is next. Ty, Ty. Yeah, I named my truck too. You, you've named your truck? Story. What is what is your truck's name? Yeah. It's Jerry. Jerry. And I named it after my dad because he taught me the truck just like it. Uh-huh. So I drive a stick shift. And so now I have another one just like it, same year, same model. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I named it after my dad. Oh, okay. So, I mean, that in that case, that really makes sense. I mean, it reminds you of him, yeah. right? Yeah, it does. <laughs> Definitely. I, I'm I'm just wondering when people just buy a car, how they come up with the name that they give it. You know, like how do you just randomly pick out a name? It's like they're naming a baby. Yeah, I think it is just like that. You know, you know. I mean, I've named almost all my cars. One of them was kind of a candy stripe, so I called it Candy. And I mean, oh, you know, okay. you just kind of look at it and you think, oh, maybe I'll call this one Blueberry if it's blue. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. There you go. All right, Ty. Thank you. Appreciate it. A lot of family uh, connections with these names we're seeing. 210-599-5555. J.R. Poll question. Do you name your vehicle? Omar's on the radio. Omar, how you doing? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm good. Always good to hear from you. So are you one of those uh, guys that your your vehicle has a name? Absolutely. I've, I've named both pickups, and I've named even the retirement car that I won't see for a, another couple of decades. Oh, okay. What, so what are the names? Uh, the current one is a 17, uh, 2017 Ford Dually four-wheel drive flatbed. Its name is Dirty Diana because mechanically sound, but it gets washed one time a year, and it's all black. <laughs> okay. Just like it's named right. after Michael, Michael Jackson's Dirty Diana. Dirty song. Diana, yeah, okay. <laughs> And then the other what is the name going to be of your retirement vehicle? You say you've already got a name picked out? Uh, well, I've just got the car picked I'm sorry, I've got the car picked out. I hadn't oh, had okay. Yet, but it's, what is that, the retirement? I'm just curious, what's that going to be? 69 uh, Chevelle Supersport. Look at you. I like that. You. Send me a, yeah, when you get that, send me a picture of that, okay? <laughs> well, All right, Omar, other- be good. Be well, sir. Thank you. Uh, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Uh, if you name your vehicle, what's the name? How did you come Darla up with the name? And Darla's next. Hi, Darla. Hi. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Good, thank you. Do Do you have a name on your car? Yes, it's a Dodge uh, minivan, car cargo minivan, mm-hmm. and it's all red. So we named it the Big Red Clifford, like the Big Red Dog. Oh, yeah, 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 Clifford the Big Red Dog. Okay, that's that's uh-huh. fun. When you say we, who came up with the name? <laughs> My son. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess, I mean, kids are good. Had... It's good to let the kids pick out the name, right? Yeah, 
And then we had the F-150. It's green. It's a pickup truck. And mm-hmm. they named it Booger because it's got paint all over the back end of it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that could have gone worse. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. Clifford the Big Red Van and Booger. All right, Darla, thank you. 210-599-5555. John is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, John. Uh, how you doing there? Uh, I'm good. How are you? Oh, not too bad at all. Uh, I have a 1971 Lincoln Continental Mark III, and if you don't remember, it's the car from the French Connection, the one that had the dope all hidden under the rocker panel. Look at Her you. Name is Ruby. Ruby. And why did you name it yeah. Ruby? I tend to, what I do is, uh, I, I got a bunch of these old cars. I, I got a few Lincolns, as a matter of fact. What I do is, uh, when I buy one of these old cars like this, mm. I tend to name it after a rock and roll song that came out right around that era. Oh, that's so a good this idea. Named for uh, the Rolling Stones, Ruby Tuesday. It's a Ruby seventy-one Tuesday. song. Came out in '66, but whatever. It's the same era. Yeah, close enough. All right. So a, Ruby is your LTD. is your. Oh, and what's the name on the LTD? Uh, her name was Maggie May after the Rod Stewart song. There you go. I like it. I like it. Do you think people will name today's cars? Because I'm noticing a lot of these are older vehicles. Like today's cars don't have as much. They don't have as much personality, right? I wouldn't say so. They all look the same. They all look like, you know, just angry little ants or something. It's weird. They do. They kind of have yeah. angry front faces. Yeah, that's a good That's a good yeah. one because with the squinty little headlights. That's a good – I never thought of that. That's good. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not dissing today's cars, but I got to admit, I got to admit, I, it's hard for me to imagine looking at like a Hyundai Sonata and giving it enough personality – to give it a name. I'm not putting that down. Those are those are good, well-made cars. 210-599-5555. All right, so uh, hit me with your car's name if you feel up to that. Or if you don't do it, uh, maybe you have a thought about why you don't do it. Um, I guess if you don't keep cars very long, you wouldn't want to name them. Or if you're leasing it or something, you probably wouldn't want to name it, right? It's kind of a relationship if you're giving it a name, right? You know, it's kind of like there's feelings involved and... There's a history, right? I'm in a quicksand and I'm starting to sing. I need someone to help me, but I don't know which way to turn. I know I don't have much of a choice. I'll go out of my mind. Or into the night. I feel like if I was going to name a vehicle, it would have been like, you know, maybe one or two of the early ones that I had back in the day. But like today, you know, like a late model car today, just it doesn't occur to me to humanize it. I mean, they're they're obviously very technological and they're kind of sterile, right? I mean, they're it's, you know, all computers and touchscreens. And uh, I mean, there was a time when when cars felt a little more like an extension of us or, you know, Maybe had a little more personality. I'm not just talking about the design. I mean, remember back in the 80s, cars were talking to us, you know, stuff like that. So I don't know. What do you do about it? Do you name your vehicle? Yes or no? 210-599-5555. We'll see how you voted on the JR poll coming up. Bill is on the radio. Hi, Bill. Hi, hi Jack. So do you do this, Bill? I wouldn't, well, a long time ago when I was a teenager, I had a 57 Ford. Mm. And I don't know for what reason my friends told me to call it teardrops. So, but what I was going to say was that us Hispanics have a gender on our vehicles. 
the truck we call it la troca and the car we call it el carro oh so the trucks are women and the cars are men right right seems right, like right seems like it'd be the other way around yeah, you know yeah but no that's uh that's hmm. you can ask any hispanic you'll say i'm going to take la troca <laughs> or i'm going to take el carro okay i'm gonna take your word for it bill i won't ask around I, i'm gonna i'm gonna believe you but you don't yeah. so you no longer do it like the, the thing you drive nowadays you don't you didn't give it a name oh no 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 yeah. Do you still give it a gender? Do you still do you still call it by its gender? Like yeah, she's yeah, like uh, she's not running say, right today or something. Right, right. Yeah, my sons would say, uh, "Dad, are you going to take la troca?" Says, "No, okay. I'm going to take el car, your mom's carro." <laughs> oh, okay. All right. As long as you keep those straight. Thank you, Bill. Uh, Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Uh, the whole gender things that's that's gotten all different now, right? It's gotten all weird on us now, not like it used to be. Uh, I I do I I do think um, I I think if you had like a car collection like Jay Leno or something, I feel like you would maybe not maybe not so much names, but then you would probably get into like the whole personalities thing of like you know when I'm in this mood I drive this one or whatever. I mean I could see that if I had a whole bunch of them, and I've said this before if I ever get like Powerball money. That's where it's going. That's what's going to happen. A car collection is going to happen. And no, no, none of them will be brand new. None of them will be supercars or sports cars or mid-engine sport. They'll all be vintage and they'll, they will be driven. And I think maybe a few of them might have names. Might, it might happen. Could happen. Otherwise, I don't see it. Uh, let's see here. John is on the radio. Jack Riccardi show. Hi, John. Hey, professor. Thanks for taking I appreciate it. Sure. Uh, Do you name your uh, vehicle? I I named a vehicle. It was my 1968 Volvo back when I was a teenager. And we named it the Red... red uh, You cut out the Red what? The Red Bomb, like explosive. Oh, okay. Like the Red Bomb, because if you rubbed your fingers on the paint job, the red would rub off on your fingers. And then one day... The thing caught on fire in front of my house. I almost burned down my parents' home. And so that's where that name came from, the bomb. But today, you said uh, everything's real sterile. So I named my car She-He Owned by Zai. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, you... You can't be more current than that, John. All right, you're you're right in the moment. You you're up you're up to I'll date. Thought, I'll thought you liked that. I'll thought Thank you, liked you that. sir. Speaking of fires, did you see that? Uh, did you see it in the news, Don? There was a a car caught on fire in a, I think it was a Jiffy Lube. I might have or Val. It might have been a Valvoline place. It was on two eighty one, I think at Brook Hollow. Did you see this? A car caught on fire in the the oil change bay burned the whole place. And there were, I guess there were some vehicles they weren't able to get out before it, it happened. But this was on the news, I think, last night. And it's the one on 281. It's next to an Enterprise and a McDonald's over there on the uh, 281 southbound uh, access road. I, I, I wonder, that seems like something that would happen, you know, that, that could very easily happen when you're working on cars. And uh, you've got, you know, flammable fluids and what have you. But, yeah. 
Uh, 210-599-5550. Imagine going for an oil change and coming back, you don't have a car anymore. That's, wow. Hopefully everybody got out okay and is all right. Uh, 210-599-5555 as we talk about naming your vehicle on the JR poll, which uh, just wanted to know how... It does seem like a lot of you are saying yes, but then you're like, I did it 50 years ago. How about, does anybody currently driving something that they have given a name to? You know what I mean? Like, I get it that you... Back in the day, and cars back then, it made more sense. But, like, I'd be curious. Like, if you're just driving, like, a modern car, and, you know, they all kind of look the same. They all have that kind of jelly bean shape because of wind tunnels. Or maybe you're driving, like, an electric car, like a Tesla. Does it have a name? Are we naming the the new cars? 210-599-5555. Bob is on the radio. Hi, Bob. Hey, Jack. My wife and I were on a walk about 25 years ago, and we stopped into some friends, and she was looking through the classifieds. We were not looking for a car. Mm. She finds it white on white, 74 Delta 88 mm. Royale. Mm-hmm. And uh, I called the guy up in Bernie. I said, we'll be up there in an hour. We got up there and made the deals, 3500 bucks. We were driving back on I-10, and a huge mm-hmm. storm came in. The top was mm-hmm. not very good. A huge bolt lightning hit a transformer right near us and just scared us. So we pulled over. And by the time we got home, the car was named White Lightning. <laughs> Wow, and I still I still drive her. It's my wife's car. She yeah. away, still drive it, and every time she drove it, she'd get somebody whistling at her. Every wow. time I drive, somebody would want to buy it. Yeah, but it's too That's much a... fun. It plays rubber, yeah. and yeah, I got the so license it... plate done. W T L T N G for white lightning. <laughs> Very good. That's a that's an amazing story. It's a great memory that you've kept that car. Uh, Bob, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Sounds like a cool ride. Do you give your car or truck a name? Fifty eight percent said no. Forty two percent said yes. You heard some of the stories. There's a lot of people uh, also voting on Facebook. You can check that out. Uh, the JR poll is not only at KTSA.com, but it's on the Jack Riccardi Facebook page. It's usually on the Jack Riccardi Show. Facebook page as well. Uh, we'll have a new poll question tomorrow when we get started at 4. Monday night, the New York Yankees were playing the Cleveland Guardians. And on the Yes Network, which is the Yankees television network, broadcaster Michael Kay started in on, I mean, he really comes across like a like a jerk. He started in on a ball boy who was not, in his opinion, properly attired you know the yankees back in the 70s when george steinbrenner owned them had a policy about short hair and you couldn't have a beard so michael k who's just really just a stuff shirt uh starts in listen to this as he goes after the ball boy during a television broadcast strange to see a yankee uniform and somebody wearing that uniform with that sort of hair rules rules are rules he's he's 
disobeying two of them. I think there's facial hair, and I think there's obviously the hair is below the collar. But the red shoes. That's yeah. also against the rules. I know it gets slow sometimes during the game. I mean, you hear announcers like they have to kind of create a little chit-chat or whatever. Hopefully there's less of that with the pitch clock, but the, he's a ball boy. You're a multi-million dollar a year sportscaster. He's a ball boy. On top of that, by the way, his name is Nate. Nate is a ball boy for the Cleveland Guardians. Michael Kay, who's been a sportscaster since the 1800s, apparently doesn't know that the ball boys don't travel with the team. When you're in Cleveland, you have the Cleveland ball boys. So this dude is not a Yankee employee. He works for the Guardians. And he has long hair because he's in a band. And apparently he's a very nice person, and a lot of his friends and family are rushing to his defense. Why Why do this? You know? Why, why pick on him? I mean, I know sometimes they... They will find a fan in the stands who's doing something goofy or not paying attention to the game or whatever. But, I mean, this was like, I'm going after this guy. He's, uh, he's breaking the rules. <laughs> has what he, a jerk. Has he not noticed that there's many of the professional baseball players that have long hair now? Long well, the Yankees still have, apparently the Yankees still have a, a oh, they kind still of got, a code. Oh, I see. But my okay. point is... Um, you know, A, that is really not for you to police, you know, what are you, the Taliban? And secondly, he's not a Yankee employee, genius, you're in Cleveland. Isaiah Thomas, who I always admired as a basketball player, he's Hall of Famer, uh, won championships with Detroit back in the day. Isaiah Thomas was on a, um, sports talk show on ESPN and hung up on the hosts. Now, you know, sports talk can get a little heated, can get a little feisty. But it turns out the reason he hung up on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max show during a discussion of the NBA playoffs, which, you know, you would think Isaiah Thomas would be a very interesting source for, is because he didn't like the photo that ESPN put up on the screen while they were taking his phone call, you know, when you phone into a television show, just so there's a visual, they put a, a photo of you, like in the corner of the screen or on one side of the screen. And he complained that the photo made him look unfriendly, that he was scowling. And he, he said that the other guy's photos looked happier and smiling. And so he hung up. That's how you say my cheese is sliding off the cracker without actually saying my cheese is sliding off the cracker. Snap out of it, Isaiah. Okay. Get over yourself. Get, get, you're, you know, the problem, the day will come when no one will call to ask what you think. Right now they're calling. Don't worry about the photo. And you have a good night, and come back and join us live at 4 tomorrow, or find us as an on-demand podcast anytime at KTSA.com.